Hi, this is Pastor Mike from Compass in Monterey County. Thank you for tuning in to my podcast. I hope it encourages you and gives you confidence that Jesus is by your side and that his plans for you are to bless you. November 11th, about almost 30 years ago, was one of the worst days of my life. Um, I was leaving town very early in the morning and I was getting in my car and I was attacked. Somebody had come in, they threw me over my car seats, and they began to choke me. I was thrown through the back to the back seat of the car, and then I was driven away, which meant I was kidnapped. It drove me about two blocks from my apartment, where he then repeatedly raped me. Fortunately, though, he took me back to my apartment complex parked the car. He wiped everything down. And we talked a little bit, and I kept telling him he needed to leave. He finally agreed, and he said that if I tried to look at him, he would come back and kill me. So I waited until I could not hear his footsteps anymore. I then got up, locked the doors, got redressed and drove away down to a convenience store where I then called a girlfriend who lived in my apartment building. Um, Soon thereafter, over time I went back to work and I just emotionally kind of strolled through life, very numb the whole time. Um, I then fell into a very deep depression. where I would basically sleep all the time and sometimes eat. I was so angry, though, with God that how could you do this to me? How could you allow this to happen to me and my family? Um, Then after about six months, I decided I was going to go to the other end of the spectrum of depression, and I decided, woohoo! I'm going to go out and party. Well, that lasted for years and years and years. I grew up here at FPC, starting at about the age of six or seven. Went through a lot of programs, grew up in the choir, singing all the way through high school. But after the rape, I, I was so angry with God that I decided I... I don't know if it was a decision. I just was angry. And I left my faith, and I left the church. We're in this series about being unbroken by the really hard things that happen in life. Some people are broken by hard things, and others are not. And today I'm talking about something that probably breaks more lives than anything else. And that's refusing to forgive. Holding on to grievances, anger that we have against somebody who's done us wrong. We have to understand that anger is a form of grief. Bitterness is a form of grief. We're grieving about what has been done to us. But if we don't get through that grief, it'll break us. 
in the video you saw that it was breaking Karen because she could not let go of her anger towards the rapist who had violated her. And it was breaking her for almost 20 years. But when we hear her story, we understand. It raises the question, forgive? Why should she? For what was done to her? George Bernard Shaw was a brilliant critic of Christianity. And he wrote, Jesus' teaching about forgiving others is a religious trick to get us to put up with what we should never put up with. Is that true? Forgive? Why should I? You know, I wonder whose name or names are on your list of the unforgiven. They did something to hurt you, to offend you, something that wounded you, and you still really are not over it. Whose name could I mention this morning? And your teeth would clench just a little bit. Your stomach would begin to churn. Whose name could I mention? Maybe it was a coach who embarrassed you in high school. Or a teacher who embarrassed you in front of the class. Or maybe it was a friend who's really wronged you, even betrayed you. Or maybe it's the name of an ex-husband or an ex-wife. Mention that name and the memories begin to roll. Or it could be a child who's now grown and gone, but mistreats you so badly. Whose name is on your list of the unforgiven? You still hold things against them. Peter, in our scripture this morning, asked Jesus, How many times must we forgive a person? And then Peter answers his own question. He says, Seven times? Now, to understand the action that's going on here between Jesus and Peter, you've got to understand that the rabbis in Jesus' day taught that you should forgive three times, and that's it. The fourth time, let them have it. Three times. So you see, what Peter's doing here is he's being magnanimous. He says, Jesus, I'm going to double what the rabbi said and then add one. Two times three plus one. I'm a real forgiver. And Jesus reigns on his parade. Jesus says, no, Peter, seven times 70. Now, some of you are counting up 490. That means just two more to go and they're done. No, that's not what he's saying. Jesus there is saying unlimited You never stop forgiving a person. You know, I wish I could have been there to see Peter's reaction because I just know his eyes got as big as grapefruits and he was thinking, that's crazy. And sooner or later, we come up to a situation that it looks like it's crazy to us too to forgive. 
C.S. Lewis, one of my favorite lines that he ever wrote is this, the most unpopular teaching of Jesus is to forgive even our enemies. It's unpopular. I think that's really true. Sooner or later, someone does something that is so bad, so offensive to us, we don't want to hear Jesus say forgive. I don't want to hear that teaching. That's crazy. Sooner or later, we don't want to hear it. And we put that person on our unforgiven list because we want justice. We want to pay back for what they did to us. It, forgiving, well, it lets them get away with it. It's a jip. It's unfair to us. It does seem unfair. So why does Jesus tell us to do something that is so unfair and so crazy? Well, first, because he said, blessed are the merciful, and he meant it. He really meant it. Blessed are the merciful. There's more to Karen's story this morning. I'd like you to see the rest of the story. I was extremely angry with God, and after 20 years of leaving him and my faith, I came back to the church. Part of it was due to I had uh, gotten married, um, and my husband and I wanted children, and we could not have any. And I needed a peace that my husband could not fulfill me with. And I told him that. And luckily, my husband decided to come to church with me. So I came back to FPC and to my faith and to God. I remember the first service I came to, I just was in tears the entire time because I was so faith-filled at that point and realized that I had to give forgiveness to the man that had raped me. And I remember just singing some of the uh, songs and not being able to sing because I was crying, because I was just feeling the healing and the grace of God coming through me and the forgiveness coming out of me. You felt like God was coming back. Oh, God's presence was totally in me, totally, completely in me. Blessed are the merciful. I read a story about a seven-year-old boy who was shoveling dirt into a very big hole that he had dug in his backyard. And his neighbor, looking over the fence, asked, What you doing, Tim? And Tim said, My goldfish died and I'm burying him. And his neighbor said, Gee, that's a pretty big hole for a goldfish. And Tim said, that's because he's inside your stupid cat. (laughs) We're the little boy. Getting even and payback just seems so right. Forgiving really does feel like a jip. 
A few years ago, a man and woman came to see me for help in their marriage that was deteriorating badly. Their house had turned into an iceberg. Their relationship was a war zone, a battlefield. Turns out, the problem was toilet paper. Turns out that she had problems remembering to replace the toilet roll when it was all gone. And it made him angry to come into the bathroom and find it empty. And he accused her of being self-centered and not thoughtful of him. Well, she thought she was a thoughtful person and she attacked him back. And soon... They were on the escalator of pain. They kept making each other pay every time they're in an argument. They hurt each other back, and they got on the escalator of pain. Do you know what I mean by the escalator of pain? What you say What you do tit for tat just makes it more painful and worse. They started sleeping in separate bedrooms. And they told me that each was waiting for the other to knock on the door and say that they were sorry. Neither did. The knock on the door never came. I'll bet you there are those among us this morning who are waiting for the knock on the door. For the other to apologize, to admit that they're the one who did wrong. You're waiting for the knock on the door. It will probably never come. Because we are naturally so prideful that we don't want to be vulnerable in doing and admitting. It's just so much better to attack back. And that puts us on the escalator of pain. Back, attack, attack, attack. Because no one has the humility to say, I was wrong. The knock on the door hardly ever comes. The solution is that someone has to be the grown-up in the relationship and go first. You know, sometimes in parenting, when people come in for parenting problems, I tell them something I heard a long time ago that has really stuck with me. That when you're having trouble with a child, the parent must tell themselves, someone has to be the adult and act like an adult. Someone has to become the grown-up and go first instead of attacking back. You see, that's the problem with getting even. When we have this idea, I'm going to hit back and get even with a person, the other person that we're getting even with and paying back never says, I deserve that. You're right. What I did, I needed a little pushback, and I deserve what you just said to me, what you just did to me. Now we're even. Has anybody ever said that to you? 
Nobody ever says that. They hit back. And we're on the escalator. Blessed are the merciful. It can stop the escalator of pain and save a marriage or a family. Blessed are the merciful. I tell you, forgiving the unforgivable is the only way to be healed and to heal. Forgiving the unforgivable. Bitterness, holding on to judgments and grudges, holding on to grievances against another person is like drinking poison, hoping the other person dies. Now, it takes time to get to the place where you want to stop drinking the poison. You don't just do this instantly. It takes some time. But you got to get there to where you stop drinking it. And you let it go. Because replaying memories is to torture yourself. Replaying memories is to torture ourselves. That's what Jesus is saying in this parable of the unforgiving servant. The king in the story, of course, is God or Jesus. And he forgives this guy of an unpayable debt. He knows he can't pay for this, so he just cancels the debt. And that, and when that forgiven man refuses to forgive another man who owes him, read, he's offended him, he's done wrong, he has a right to pay him back. When he refuses to forgive another, the king hears about it and he gets very angry. And Jesus says, he turned him over to the jailers to be tortured. It's really unfortunate that the NIV translates that jailers. Most other translations get it right and they translate it. He turned him over to the torturer to be tortured. Because this word in Greek, it's a narrow word. It does mean jailer, but it's more narrow than just a person who locks you up. This is a jailer who delights in torturing who's in his jail. A torturer. That's the word Jesus uses here. And this very same word is used elsewhere in the scripture for hell. Hell. He turns him over to a hell on earth. To be tortured. Now, what I want us to notice is God is not the torturer here. So who is? You are. You torture yourself when you relive memories of grievances. You're your own torturer. You see, God, if we insist on replaying the memories, doesn't magically blank our mind. Go blank. He lets us freely do what we choose to do. But when we freely choose to replay the painful memories, we are torturing ourselves. That's what this story says. For 20 years, 
Karen held on to her anger and bitterness towards the rapist. And no one can blame her for that. We all understand why. But it tortured her for 20 years. Blessed are the merciful. You bless yourself. Forgiving, you see, Jesus' teaching is God's most powerful medicine for the wounds people give us, for victims. It may seem unfair to forgive another person and not make them pay, but the truth of the matter is it's the fairest thing we can do for ourselves. It's the only way we can be healed. Because God cannot heal us of what we won't forgive. Let me say it another way. God cannot heal what we insist upon rehearsing in our mind. Cannot heal that. I wonder if you've ever gotten up in the morning and while you're in the shower, you start rehearsing your grievances against someone. Uh, Maybe it's someone at work, maybe it's a former friend, maybe it's your wife or your husband or your mother-in-law. But you begin to rehearse what they did that's so offensive and you begin to think of the speech you're going to make if you ever get a chance. Why are you looking at me like that? I know you do this. And then during the rest of the day, you make improvements on the speech. So it's really hard hitting. God cannot heal a wound that we insist on tearing the scab off repeatedly. It won't heal. This is so important. Forgiving is not a feeling. It's a choice. You don't wait till you feel forgiving because you're not ever going to feel forgiving. No, your feelings follow your choices. Feelings follow behavior. And you just make up your mind, enough with this torture. And you let the grievances go. That's what Nike says. Just do it. And what happens when you let go of your grievances is you you take back your life. You take control of your mind and emotions by taking control of your thinking. So what this means is, is when the DVD, and many people have a whole library of DVDs against different people of memories. When that DVD begins to play, you push the stop button. You stop it. If you let it continue to play in your mind, it's your own fault that you're tortured. If you relive the hurt and your anger over and over again, it's your fault because you have a choice. Some choices in life are healing and some choices are not healing. They're torturing choices. I'm not saying this is easy. You may have to do this 25 times a day. Push the stop button. And then the next day, the DVD begins to roll. You push the stop button. As soon as you know it's coming, you stop it. 
There are some things in life you have to do for yourself. No one can do them for you. I know this is hard, but Jesus often asks us to do hard things that are against our natural human nature. Because blessed are the merciful. Surely someone here this morning needs to take back their life. Someone here needs to take back their joy and make room for personal peace inside of your life by stopping the replaying of memories you've done for days or months or years. As straight as I can be with you, forgive for your own sake. Blessed are the merciful. And then secondly, forgiving is a whole lot easier. If you know some nice things, it's not. Some nice things that forgiving is not. For example, forgiving does not mean always there's reconciliation. It takes only one to forgive you. Takes two to reconcile. One to forgive. You can do that unilaterally and let go of your grievance. But two to reconcile. If an employee steals from you, you may forgive them, let go your right to repay them, but fire them anyway because you see no repentance in them. There's no real grieving over what they did. They just make excuses. If a person betrays you, you may forgive them. But if there's no admitting about what they did and there's just excuses, then there's no reconciliation possible because they're going to do it again. A few weeks ago, I read a book by Elizabeth Edwards called Resilience. It's on your screens. It's a gripping story of some nice things forgiveness is not. You know, her husband, of course, is John Edwards, the senator who ran for president. And then it was discovered that he was having an affair. And when he knew it was going to hit the news, he came to Elizabeth and admitted it, but he insisted it was a one-night stand. She writes about how she believed him, and for a long time she stood by him. But then she found out that he had lied to her again and again and again. And even lied about that. She found out on the evening news that it was not a one-night stand, but it was a very long affair in which he had produced a child through his lover. He had lied to her again and again. She separated from him and she was in the process of divorcing him when she died of cancer. Forgiving is something you must do to rid yourself and drop your weapons. But it doesn't mean you always reconcile. When Jesus said, forgive seven times seven, he meant nothing is forgivable, unforgivable. The Greek word here literally means to let go of. It means I'm letting go of my rights to get even with you, to pay you back, to make you suffer. But it does not always mean reconciliation. 
There are some people we forgive, but we can never trust again. There are some people we forgive, but they're toxic, and we really need some distance between us. Jesus said, turn the other cheek, not let them break your jaw. So if a person will not do some admitting and keeps on doing what they're doing, you can forgive them repeatedly even as they do what they're doing, but there's no reconciliation because they're actually dangerous. And forgiveness does not mean there are no consequences given. And this is real important. It's a condition of the heart of whether or not when you give a consequence, it is getting even, punishing them, or it's giving consequence because that's the best thing that's going to help them. Only you know in your heart. The fact is, it's only usually in pain that anybody changes. It's usually only in pain. That they do some admitting and say, you know, I need to change the way I'm behaving. You know, in marriage counseling over the years, women have asked me, after I've counseled with both of them, they'll ask me, is he going to change? And sometimes I have to say to her, no, not yet. He's not in enough pain yet. When the pain really gets worse, then maybe he'll do some admitting and change. But not yet. C.S. Lewis has a great line. He calls it a severe mercy. Consequences can be a severe mercy. Yes, it feels severe, but it's really merciful because it's only in the pain that some people come to their senses and begin to change. You can forgive and yet still give consequences because without the pain, nobody changes. Forgiving does not mean that you do not confront the person. It doesn't mean that you just pretend that what they've done doesn't matter. Because confrontation done right with the right spirit is actually giving the Holy Spirit material to work with in that person's conscience. Gives the Holy Spirit material to work with. Another powerful book that I read for this series is by Laurie Hall. It's called The Affair of the Mind. And in this book, she talks about her husband's addiction to pornography and how it led to prostitutes and affairs and how it destroyed their marriage. The pain she expresses in this book is really almost beyond belief. She comes to a section, a whole section on what forgiving is not because she's forgiving, forgiven her husband. She's beginning to restore the marriage. And she comes to this section about what it is not. And one of those sections she talks about It doesn't mean you don't present your case. Present your case to the offender. And here's, let me quote what she means. It's about vulnerability. She says, just as God was honest with Israel about how she had broken the covenant, so a wife must be honest with her husband about how he's broken their relationship. 
This is much bigger than simply saying, you've wronged me. Presenting the case you have against your husband is about revealing your own sufferings. You lay bare the pain of what he's done to you. You unmask the agony. You refuse to hide the torment it's caused you. You become tremendously vulnerable when you expose your pain to someone who may not care at all that he has hurt you. But vulnerability is crucial to reconciliation. Not attacking, but vulnerability of what this has done to me in a way that doesn't push him or her away. Sometimes in vulnerability, there's a miracle and the Holy Spirit wins. And finally, forgiving does not mean you tolerate more of the same. No. Does not mean you tolerate more of the same. And I say that because Jesus warns us, we can forgive anything, but we cannot tolerate everything. And this is so important, because sometimes tolerating repetition of a behavior is called loving them. No, it isn't. That's not loving. That's fear. That's a lack of courage. So often when we don't confront, we don't draw boundary lines, we don't say, no, no more of that, I won't tolerate that. We don't say that because we're afraid of the conflict that's going to bring and what it does to us. And that's not grace. That's a lack of courage. And the Bible has a lot to say about speaking up. So because you've forgiven a person doesn't mean you tolerate continued wrongdoing. Still forgive. Let go of your right to get even. Let go of your grievances. They may not change, but you'll find inner peace in that. And it may bring peace to your marriage. Blessed are the merciful. The unmerciful, they're turned over to self-torture. So today, is there anyone in your life that's still torturing you? Forgive them. Let it go. And be at peace. Lord Jesus, I pray for us here today that you would help us erase every name off of our unforgiven list. And we pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Wow, that message was packed with quotable insights for living, wasn't it? If you're blessed by these podcasts, why not share them with friends and spread the blessing? Christians today in America, like at no other time in memory, need the encouragement of these messages to stand up for Jesus. So share the blessing, and God bless you.